Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. It is April 9th, 2021. How are you today? I'm doing fine. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We are going to just do a quick week in review podcast because we haven't planned anything, although our podcasts from this week have been pretty good. Um, I was thinking maybe we could look at some of the stories that may have slipped through the cracks that we didn't talk about, and there may be a reason why we didn't talk about them, but we'll look at them anyway, and perhaps we'll solve some more of the world's problems in the process. Yeah. A lot of good topics this week. A lot of things that everyone should be talking about, should be reading, should be thinking about. Uh, they should be talking about them because they're very, they're they're interesting, first of all, but also they're important. They're mm-hmm. very important. So let's see. Today, I mean, this week, let's see. Started the fifth, and we did. We talked about "Do Not Split," the Academy Award-nominated documentary short. And then we just looked at Reddit on Tuesday because we also didn't have anything planned. And then we read System Failure by Ashish Jha about global health going into the future, um, uh, public affairs, uh, foreign affairs. And then yesterday we talked about the global semiconductor shortage. So we can retouch on any of those topics as we see fit. But I want to talk about something. I want to get your opinion on it because I've been a little bit conflicted about this. I'm going to go to Google News. Okay. And we'll pull up a Google News. Uh, it'll be different because we have different Googles. So Google algorithmically gives you the news on their website. So here's Google News for today for the podcast account. Um, it looks like Prince Philip died. I want to talk about, though, this guy in Florida with the punchable face. <laughs> Matt Gates. Matt Gates. A punchable face, yeah, huh? Um, Once to date your child, billboard for a man. So he looks like he's going down in a blaze of glory. Yesterday, wow. early in the day, his buddy and Cherokee County, uh, Cherokee County might have been where a mass shooting happened. He was a county tax collector, and he was Matt Gates' buddy. They were thick as thieves. There's pictures of them together. They would party together. Um his buddy was arrested a few months ago on multiple charges, including sex trafficking. And his buddy looks like he turned state's evidence yesterday. He came out and he said, um, his lawyer came out and said, yep, yeah, this is probably a pretty uncomfortable time for Matt Gates." So Matt Gates, he's crashing. And I watched the news sites like CNN and MSNBC, and they're taking a victory lap. You watch a news site like Fox, and they're pretending like this doesn't exist. Um, They're not covering it. Uh, I guess my issue is, talking to you, what I want to talk to you about is, okay, this guy, we all agree. You take one look at his face, and you want to punch him in the face. And he's got this (laughs) creepy vibe, and it appears like the creepy vibe is also backed up by his actions. Now, that's fine. That's all well and good. But one thing that I don't like is he's accused of sex trafficking, and he's accused of sex trafficking a minor. And his downfall has been celebrated, but the reason why he faces decades in prison is because there's real victims here, and no one is really talking about that, or at least I haven't heard much discussion about that. And so I, my, I feel terrible that we live in a world where a congressman and a county tax collector can still 
traffic women. And nobody bats an eyelash. It takes this long for it to get investigated and, and shut down. And I, I guess I wanted to focus on that side of the... I mean, it's fun to take a victory lap and say, yes, this guy, he's a real a-hole, and I'm glad to see him go down in flames. But at the same time, the only reason he's going down in flames is because he's victimized people. Well, uh, the people... It's a very good point, David. A very good point. And uh, another argument along those lines is, uh, and I've heard this before, that, uh, and this is not my argument, this is an argument that I've heard before. And that is that the people that actually do that, uh, they their remorse or their sorrow is not for doing it because they would do it again. It's for getting caught doing it and that same type of mentality if they are sensationalized by the media in some in some horrible way that influences them or motivates them or glorifies what they did in their mind not not in our mind because we're not that way but in their mind it does and it does for other people of like minds and so uh, I think looking at the victims and uh, puts it in perspective. I think you have a very good point, David. Uh, instead of glorifying uh, the perpetrator, uh, maybe we should have sympathy for the victims and support the victims. Uh, and so maybe that isn't as glamorous as seeing someone go down in flames. But what are the effects of the media, what are the mm -hmm. effects of the reporting? Anyway, that that's my that's my take on it. What my opinion? That's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I just <laughs> I am going to admit this, and I'll be completely honest. I have enjoyed watching him go down in flames. I have not liked him for years. On January sixth, after the Capitol was stormed, and he got on the floor of the Congress after you know they cleared the Capitol and we were allowed to resume debate. And he got on the floor and he said, I don't think this was Trump supporters at all. I think this was Antifa. And I was like, oh, my, I was rolling my eyes. I'm like, man, I hate this guy. And so <laughs> I think that I, I'm sure there's some Christian uh, epigram that says, you know, don't celebrate when the other guy goes down in flames because there but for the grace of God go I or whatever, you know. Um, but I have caught myself when more information comes out, it's like, oh, wow, there's an investigation into him? Oh, wow. Um, everyone in Congress is turning on him? Oh, wow, his good buddy is going to testify against him? Oh, wow, there's open and shut evidence that's coming out that he basically did this? And every time that there's this, you know, you kick the, you advance the story a little bit, I'm like, yes, yes, yeah, screw this guy to the wall. <laughs> you know, And I want him to be punished for what he's done, not because it's... It's justice, but because I don't like the guy. And I don't think that that's, I mean, I think it's, a, it's important when something like that happens that you sort of discuss, that's not the reason he should be punished. He should be punished because he committed these heinous crimes. Not because you hate the guy, you hate the things he said, and he's got one of the most punchable faces in Washington. That's not the reason you should want him to go down. Um, so I guess that's the sort of discussion I wanted to talk about because I'm, 
I understand. I understand why the media covers it. Because when they say, oh, new details came out and he's even more screwed than he was yesterday, you go, yes, I love this. I love hearing about him being more screwed. But it's not about what he did. It's about the fact that you don't like him. Yeah, it's true. Well, that's kind of how a lot of uh, the foundation of a lot of, uh, I should say, uh, uh, videos or news, uh, uh, because people are going to be coming back, not because of not because of uh, the truth, uh, but because uh, it's emotional. They enjoy it. They mm-hmm. want to hear it. And so that that does feed into uh, why listeners will come back and listen. Yeah. But uh, it's not it's not necessarily about uh, what's right, uh, which which. Uh, I I understand what you're saying, and uh, I kind of agree with that too. He he has his just dues. Uh, that's exactly what he deserves. But uh, I think of the bigger picture and the deeper picture, and also the responsibility uh, of to the victims and also to future victims of people like this. And so how would you report it? I don't know. I'm not a journalist. Uh, I have a lot of respect for journalism. And I have a lot of respect for the media. I think the media is is crucial. But also the media can be can be misused and it can be harmful. And so uh, the, the reporting has to be in such a way that it not only reports what happens, but it has to understand the implications of that reporting. Uh, and where where's it going to go? And it's it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. And I, I've heard I've heard like some uh, some horrible crimes. They're th- they're afraid of copycat crimes. They won't use a person's name. Yeah, I think no. that's a lot of times that's a good good idea. I also know I know some news outlets when there's a mass shooting, um, they won't use the shooter's name. And they say, you know, the other news outlets will tell you, and they, ostensibly for information. But at this news outlet, we believe that a lot of these mass shooters do this as a cry for attention. And the last thing we want to do is give them what they want. So these are the names of the victims, and we're going to refer to the shooter as the shooter. I've seen news outlets do that. And I think there's a a logic to that. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I definitely do. And also the attention part is that uh, people like attention for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Some people like them because they're good people. Some people like them because they have they have something to say that's going to be valuable. And some people will do anything for the attention. Yes. They'll even get up in Congress and say that was Antifa. <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes they do that for attention, mm-hmm. for the shock, uh, the, the, the shock element. And if with a shock element, they get attention and get attention, they'll get votes and get votes. They'll go to Congress because it works. And that's really sad. That's a sad that's a sad uh, a commentary uh, on. Uh, not our system. It's a sad commentary on our people. Yeah. On the voters, on yeah. each other, and don't don't blame don't blame our system. Uh, uh, to me, here, here's my here's my soapbox. Don't blame our system. Don't blame uh, the way the United States does things. Don't tear down uh, our 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 voting and every. Don't tear down our country. Uh, let's look to each other. And let's correct each other so that we use our system uh, the way it was meant to be used. Um, I think that you have a very good point, but I will say this. The sentiment that gets a guy like Matt Gate 
elect, Gates elected. And this is sort of like, don't blame the system. Look at yourself. That sentiment where he stirs up muck and he blames the other side and he gets you riled up, that's the same sentiment that's causing me to get a dopamine rush every time I refresh my YouTube feed and something bad has come out about him. It's, I mean, it's the same sort of mechanism, feedback mechanism. It's not the, I mean, it's not that there's anything, I, I don't think he's an effective lawmaker. I think Congress would be better without him. But that's not the reason I'm celebrating my ass off every time a new damaging piece of information comes out about him. I, you're, what you're, very well taken, David. Now, that's what you're saying is reality. Yes. You can't ignore that. I mean, yeah, I'm saying idealistically, this is what people should do. No, they're not going to do that. But you're saying but idealistically, honest, people should look at their own behaviors. And I'm saying the only reason we're talking about this this morning is because my behavior is exactly the same as the thought process of the people that voted him into office, just maybe with a different perspective. But the behavior is the same. The perspective may be different, but it's not about truth. It's about wanting to see this guy go down in flames. Yeah. Yep. And well, that, what I'm getting at is that that's just reality. That's and we are people, and uh, and you're gonna. I I feel that way too. Like, oh, good for him, you know. But then you bring up the thing about the victims, victims, and I say to myself, yeah, that is true. That's very true. So you're probably more inflamed than I am because you've closer to it than I am. I haven't been following it as much. Uh, but I mean, I hear it, but I don't follow it. I just uh, don't like this guy, and I haven't liked him for a couple years. And so to find out that he's going down in flames, it's like, okay, I'm on board for this story. Oh, there's new information? Let me read it. And it's not like I need to be informed about this. This is not an issue that's going to affect my life. I'm reading it because there's salacious details, there's drug use, there's sex trafficking. And at the end of the day, some guy who have decided that I don't like his face, I don't like his attitude, and I don't like his politics, will probably end up in jail. But does that make me a bad person for... That's that's what I want. I, it's like junk food. It's like political junk food to watch this guy go down. But there's no constructive nature to it. Well, that does not make you a bad person. That makes you a human. Mm -hmm. And as a human, an intelligent human, a responsible human, a good human, a good citizen, how do you use that emotion? Yes. What do you do? You just relish in it. You don't necessarily, uh, anyway, what do you do with it, mm -hmm. you know? I won't start a, a forum where I say, I have Q-level clearance. But we've, <laughs> we've talked about this for 15 uh -huh. minutes. I think it's a good time to move on. Mm -hmm. I saw a clip yesterday. Charles Barkley. Do you know Charles Barkley? The round mound oh, of yeah. rebound. Yeah, I sure do. He had Go a, Charles. He had a statement <laughs> on NBA Tonight that went viral. Shall uh -oh. we watch it? Uh-oh, okay. It's his take on modern politics. Let's listen. Okay. Shared that news, how painful it was. Yeah, but the one thing I took out of that piece was, man, I think most white people and black people are great people. I really believe that in my heart, but I think our system is set up where our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power. They divide and conquer. 
I truly believe in my heart most white people and black people are awesome people, but we're so stupid following our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. And their only job is, hey, let's make these people not like each other. We don't live in their neighborhoods. We all got money. Let's make the whites and blacks not like, like each other. Let's make rich people and poor people not like each other. Uh, let's, let's scramble the middle class. I truly believe that in my heart. Sure. There we go. That's Charles Barkley. <laughs> oh, wow. He does have a way of saying things, doesn't he? It's an interesting take, and I think that there's some truth to what he's saying. I think there's a lot of truth to what he's saying. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can you can parse it out. I'm sure you can you can uh, uh, divide it up and and analyze each part of it and have positive and negatives. And but I think what he's saying, uh, the basic intent of what he's saying is is he's positive. Mm -hmm. He's saying, look, yeah, we're all stupid. Let's don't do this. Let's let's don't divide and conquer. Let's unite and conquer. Let's let's do this together. Uh, very good point. Very good point. But Charles, Charles Barkley, he just has a way of, of expressing himself. And I, I, th I think there's some truth to that. I thought I heard a knocking at my door, which is annoying, but I don't hear it anymore. So I'll just ignore it. I hope it goes away. Um, I hope your door locked. It's locked. Your door's locked. It's locked. Okay. Um, But yeah, I mean, I th I thought that was an interesting clip, and it went viral. You saw that clip we watched had 9.4 million views, and that's really someone filming their iPad with their phone. <laughs> so we, we still we still see it there. Yeah, I mean, the mm -hmm. audience audience doesn't see it. You see it. Oh, just me. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, hey, that's a very interesting clip. Mm-hmm. But you see, people see that. People know that. Uh, you know, Charles is a very colorful and he's an intelligent uh uh person but he just has a way of expressing himself that i think is is in some cases uh heartwarming yeah but anyway i, I a lot there's a lot of truth to that a lot of truth to that um so yeah i mean we've seen, we've seen that too how we are becoming more and more divided and, and you've even mentioned that too david how it's really uh it's very difficult to have a bipartisan type. You can have people that come together that are bipartisan, like in Congress and committees on on an issue. But in general, they are separate. They they attack each other as, as villains. They blame each other. Uh-huh. They blame each other. On almost every issue that's that's a problem, each side will blame the other side. I think Charles Barkley's right. In that sense. Are you um, finding something else? I mean, I was just thinking what he said sort of relates to the Matt Gates story. I think that, you know, you think, oh, I take a well-measured approach. I read a variety of well-referenced sources. I listen to experts on specific issues. But you're not immune. I mean, I consume media. I consume Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. And I'm not immune from, even though I do see that it's like a, a shell game. I I understand that a lot of it is making you hate the other side for no other reason than they are on the other side. And 
and I see Matt Gates as one of the key perpetrators of that. But then again, my irrational hatred for him, then why do I care about the story? Because I want to see him go down. I don't care about the, I mean, I, I don't show the appropriate amount of compassion for the victims of his crimes. My interest in the story is wanting to see him go down. And that perhaps is a function of the programming that's been done to me by virtue of being a consumer of modern media. Well, you don't know who the victims are, but you do know him. Yes. You know the victims really need support. You don't know who they are. You have the perpetrator. You know who he is. He should go down. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I think it's just there again. It's how much information you have. So but, I think it's it's. But a do you see what I'm saying? How the hatred, like he says, they're just trying to trick you into hating each other. And he's talking about race issues, but you could also make it partisan issues. These politicians, they just make you want to, you know, hate the other side. And I take a look at Matt Gates. I'm like, I don't like that guy. I wouldn't go so far as to say that I hate him, but it's like something bad happened to him. Let me let me read about it. Oh wow, the de details are salacious. Like, let me read more about it. I, it's. I think that I've been programmed like Charles Barkley has said. In some in some small way, the reason why I, I we're talking about the story, the reason why I find it fascinating, the reason why I've tuned in to the details is not because the story has any specific merit or not because what I'll learn from reading the details of the story will help me in my life. It's because there's this division and it's like... I don't want this guy to succeed. I want to see him fail. I want to see him crash spectacularly. And I'm going to read every single piece of copy that gets printed on his way down. Yeah, but listen to what you're saying, David. You're self-reflecting on why you're doing that objectively mm -hmm. and saying, oh, is that really right? People don't do that. They just run with the emotion. That's true. And they can't do that. And and uh, so my my question then would be uh, does the uh, media when they report things and so a lot of this reporting is not really reporting it's inflaming yes you know it's opinions uh but what type of responsibility is there then uh, uh is that they're not the only ones there's other, even the even the the populace even the even the politicians will do it you know and so where's the responsibility uh thinking of uh not the almighty dollar there but thinking of uh uh, justice and what's right in uh, the, uh, the our country. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember, I'll say this story again. I think it doesn't hurt to be repeated. Uh, uh, my neighbor, uh, a great, great lady, Leela Green, uh -huh. uh, where she was telling me about uh, when she was growing up in Golden Gate Canyon and, and one guy up there that uh, nobody liked and, and everybody shunned him because he was he was just very belligerent and and very difficult to get along with. And one day his barn burned down. So everybody in the valley came down and helped him build his, build his barn back. And I said, everyone came. See, everyone came. Well, why? I thought they didn't like him. He says, I, we don't like him, but he is our neighbor. And that's what neighbors do. Mm -hmm. uh, we're losing that in this country. You don't have to agree with them. But you, you, you have to, we're neighbors, we're citizens, not only citizens in this country, but also we're citizens of the world. And so I think we talked about this also about uh, uh, the uh, uh, in uh, Yemen. And uh, we have to be careful of, of everyone 
all across the world with all the all the. Uh, I think we talked about that last week. Yeah. So if you're a, a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, but you believe in the Bible, if you're a fundamentalist Christian Republican, and you believe in the Bible, just remember, God didn't say, love thy neighbor, unless he's a Democrat. <laughs> he didn't say, love thy neighbor, unless he's a Republican. Right? <laughs> that's not what the Bible says, but I think that's what <laughs> people will say today. That's what preachers say. Yeah. Evangelists will say. Because they're going to get the almighty dollar, and they go, yeah, yeah, you know. That's what, laugh, that's, what Char- ha, ha, ha. that's what Charles Barkley is talking about. That's it's exactly not about what's right or wrong. It's about sowing this division so you can earn a buck off of someone. That's right. Charles Barkley, hey, I like what you said. Yeah. I support it. And uh, everybody has their own way of saying it. And when you listen more than you talk, and you listen to what Charles Barkley is saying, and what does he mean by that? I think he has a lot of positive things that he's trying to uh, appeal to Americans to be a real American mm-hmm. and come together and unite. So we're going and, back. And not and, and still have your differences. You can still have your differences, but that doesn't mean that you blame each other. Yeah. You still come together and work together. Yeah, I think your differences should be substantive, not foundational. Like, oh, you you like the Broncos? Yeah, I like the Broncos. What else do you like doing? Oh, I'm an accountant. Oh, I'm an accountant, too. Oh, really? What else? Oh, I love French movies. Oh, me, I love French movies, too. Yeah, and I vote Democrat. You vote Democrat? You're fundamentally a bad person. (laughs) You know, we can't be friends. Um, I hate you. (laughs) So, uh, Prince Philip died. That's the top story on Google News right now. Uh, Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, No, I don't. Should I pull? Yeah, I do. It's sad. Should I pull up an inappropriate onion article? Okay. Are you ready? I think so. Prince Philip. (laughs) Where is it? Where is it? Uh, They might have taken it down. They never take anything down. Was it was it really? Uh... So he went to the. He had COVID. Oh, too bad. And he was in the hospital, and then he got came home, and there was a picture similar to this. Um. And I think they took it down. This is insane. They never take anything down. Probably because he died today. But. Yeah, it was a picture was too insensitive. It was, it was a picture like this after he got home from the hospital. This is last month, February sixteenth, uh, so two months ago, and uh, it's like royal family announces Prince Philip's corpse is safely on route home from the hospital because he was still alive. But this picture, he looked like he wasn't long for this world. And so the Onion, they have a way of doing uh, very insensitive things and just sort of putting it out there, and. One thing that I think that allows The Onion to do that is that they have a masthead and an editorial board, and it's not one person. So it's not like a YouTuber making a joke about Prince Philip who just died, and then everyone in the UK is like, never look at The Onion again. It's, oh, it's a fake newspaper. It's not a fake person. So the instrument, I think, makes a big difference when it comes to The Onion. Um, It shields them from the liability of if they were an individual saying these things. 
Do you agree with that? Uh, yes, I absolutely do. Uh, if you want to remain anonymous, you can do a lot more than than having your face out there because then you're a target. Mm -hmm. You're putting a target on your you're going to put a target on your forehead. Uh, well, you know that brings up a good point. Uh, just throw this out there since we're talking. Is uh, but when I read the Onion, uh, they're funny, uh, they're irreverent, uh, but because of that, sometimes you, they they have a way using humor to say things. And uh, to reveal things that you really couldn't say if you said them straight out, because mm -hmm. they're using humor. But why couldn't a regular paper do something like that as well? This is the news that's not fit to print, and they have a they have a have a title, mm -hmm. you know. And then with like one little paragraph, uh, uh, that they they would go, "Oh my goodness, that was terrible. That's horrible." But you're making people think of that mm -hmm. and you're making people think of it in that perspective. And all of a sudden, uh, that's one way using humor, uh, using absurdities uh, uh, and uh, using that to make people's minds think of a certain way. And that reveals the foundation of why you even thought that way in the first place. Mm -hmm. I think it's a device. I, I when I read some of these onion articles or where you read them to me, oh, that's very clever. That's very very clever. There's, there's some good ones. <laughs> yeah, let's take some a look. Really good ones. Let's take a look at some headlines. U.S. Yeah. criticized for giving one trillion dollars to military contract to develop hat that didn't work. There's the picture of the hat. <laughs> U.S. criticized for yeah. So so what is that? What does that raise? Uh, Military spending. Government spending, yeah. More government companies, spending. More companies considering hybrid model where half return to office, half laid off. That's economic model. Economic anxiety. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, yeah, we can cut costs, just fire people. Yeah, and all of a sudden you have half, you have a half a company. Oh, man. Rats scrambled to hide fully functioning amusement park and resort... They built as working return to office. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, they. I like the fact that they don't really pull any punches. I do think they may have. I like this one. Vaccine dose reminds sedentary man what muscle soreness feels like. <laughs> <laughs> um, Powell, Ohio. Sometimes it's just silly. Sometimes it's. They make a good point. Like, they always reprint the, there's no way we could have prevented this, says only nation where this regularly happens. Every time there's that. a mass shooting. Yeah. that. Say that again? There's no way we could have prevented this. We, we can pull up the article. They've published it dozens and dozens I, of times. See, now that is very clever. I, I did that. That's very clever. There's no way we could have prevented this, says a nation, the most powerful nation in the world. You know, self-acclaimed as the most powerful nation in the world. In Look, what area? The, okay, this is from March 17th with the... Um, March 17th with the Atlanta. Then this first top one is Boulder, March 23rd. Before that, they they published the same exact article February 26th. So what they do is they just um, they republish. 
No way to prevent this. No way to prevent this. No way to prevent this. No way to... Every time there's... And between the 17th and 23rd, that was less than a week. That was less than a week, and they published the same article twice. And I think that the, the concept of saying, okay, we wrote this article, and it's completely applicable to the situation six months later, and it's completely applicable to the situation a year later, and it's completely applicable to the situation today. Oh, seven days later, the same thing happens. Let's run the article again. There's, uh, oh, I, I didn't have it pulled up. Um, so here's Boulder. Here's Atlanta. Here's one that happened the 26th of February. I don't know where. Uh, August 4th, 2019. June 1st, well, 2019. Let me, let me point out. Okay, you kind of glossed over this, David. Let me point out and emphasize this. No way to prevent this, quote unquote, says only nation only nation where this where this regularly happens mm -hmm. okay i mean you you knew that i knew that but we really didn't emphasize that yeah so okay the, the only nation the only nation where this regularly happens no way to prevent this so mm -hmm. so that to me that's extremely clever yeah it's very clever and uh again i think you can use this kind of I don't know what kind of journalism you talk about. How it's satire. Satire journalism. But to make points, to make very good points. I think it's cool. How many times did they... Uh, it says 24 results when I Google it. Wow. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No way to prevent this. The only nation where this regularly happens. And it's happened... 24 times or whatever. So Because they rerun the article and it's like, it's evergreen content. They wrote it 10 years ago and they get to pull it out two or three times a year. They got to pull it out twice. They got to pull it out March 17th and March 23rd of this year. And February 26th of this year. And that's sad. That's The thing is, yeah, it's clever. It's clever that they've realized that there's so many mass shootings that they can reuse the article over and over again. That's so clever. But it's like, but also, what that means is there are so many mass shootings that they can reuse the article over and over again. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Well, to me, that just raises the question, like, look, something, let's look about this. Let's think about this and talk about this. Something, what's happening? How come it always happens here? Why does it always happen here? And it doesn't happen elsewhere as mm -hmm. much. It does happen, but it doesn't happen as much. Well, I guess Biden did announce a bunch of gun control policies yesterday. And the uh, gun lobby is just there uniting against him, saying, you know, if you can't indiscriminately sell assault rifles to whoever wants them, or it's going to tank our industry. <laughs> um, I don't know. The gun issue is d difficult because gun odors... I feel like a lot of times you get, and this is sort of the politics of division, worst case scenarios. So Biden's like, I think we need to close the gun show loophole. I think we need to ban extended magazines, um, ban the selling of parts from which you can put the parts together and then you have yourself a gun and there's no serial number. So you buy parts from all over the internet, they get them shipped to you. All of a sudden, you have a gun that's not registered because you put it together for parts. Like building a PC, you know. 
Um, and then he also said we need to prevent uh, modifications to pistols, like an arm brace that makes them fire like a rifle. That's what the guy in Boulder used. And the, the interesting thing is I don't see any of those things as tanking the entire gun industry. And I don't see any of those additional regulations as taking away your guns. But when you say, oh, well, I think that we might need to demand a form of ID for someone to buy an M16 and carry it on the street, the other side will say, they're taking our guns. <laughs> and it's like, that's not what they asked. They didn't say they're going to take your guns. They said, you can still buy an M16. You just have to show us an ID. It's like, nope. You know, that's just a slippery slope. You make a show an ID, the next day you're storming our house and taking all of our guns. And it's, um, I think that fear mongering. So like if you own guns, you're afraid they're going to be taken away. And, and that's never really happened. I mean, have you seen at any point in the United States history, the government coming in and taking anybody's guns? I, I haven't, but, but maybe I'm just not clued into it. Yeah, well, I don't, I really, I really just, I understand why they do it, but I think the reason why they do it, this is my opinion, uh, I think the reason they do it is not to prevent the killings. It's all just to show for politics to say, I'm doing something about it. And I don't see gun control as stopping people who are angry to find something to kill people they will do that. They'll get explosives and blow it up next time. They'll blow. They'll blow it up and you, the people are doing this. Yeah, there's and there's so, knife knife attacks in Britain all the time, and it's like there was a knife attack today. Three people were wounded. One had to go to the hospital. You know, and you think, well, if that guy had a semi-automatic rifle, seventeen people might have gotten killed. So gun, take, maybe gun they'll control. Take, they'll take C4 or TNT or something, and they'll just blow up a bus if they want to kill. They'll take some info. They'll take some info and put it in a, in a bus and bring it up and just blow up a building. If they want to kill people, they're going to kill people. This gun control, I don't think, is going to really uh, stop that at all. Uh, it might slow down some people temporarily, uh, but then it just changes the culture. Uh, by, by You can't regulate... Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't see gun control stopping this at all. I really don't. Now, that, I, it's not saying anything about gun control, mm -hmm. uh, whether I'm for it or against it, you know, whatever the reasons. I'm sure they're good reasons on both sides. Uh, but, um, and I think your points were very well taken. So, so you're saying there's no way to prevent this. If you, if you enact gun control, it's not going to do anything to stop gun deaths in a nation where over half the world's deadliest mass shootings have occurred in the past 50 years whose citizens are 20 times more likely to die of gun violence than other de developed nations. I mean, I think that... Well, we have gun control today more than we had in the past. Um, but there was a yeah. marked increase in uh, gun deaths between the passage under Bill Clinton of the semi-automatic assault rifle ban and its repeal. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, let me just look it up. I'll just Google it. Assault rifle ban. Clinton. So what I'm saying, go ahead and look that up. So what I'm saying is you can say, I don't think that banning assault weapons 
is going to have any effect. You know, and the only, the only evidence we have of, of whether or not you think that's true is when it was passed for 10 years, from 1994 to 2004. And you saw a market dis- decrease in uh, deaths in America by, semi- by assault rifles because they were banned. So, I mean, you could go with your gut or you could go with the numbers. And maybe the numbers bear out that some forms of gu- common sense gun control do, uh, on an aggregate level, lower the numbers of gun violence deaths. Well, I, I agree. I mean, you ban a gun and people will not kill with that gun. But that isn't people people won't kill. Yes, but if... They'll okay. find another gun. They'll take a shotgun and start killing people. If, I mean, if 22 people would have gotten killed, if this guy could have used an assault rifle, but instead he used a pistol and he killed five people, and you say, well, we saved 17 lives today. You say, no, five people died anyway, so there's no reason to ban assault weapons. I mean, because I think that the assault weapon ban from 1994 to 2004, I think it did, it worked. And there was evidence, there was empirical evidence that the amount of gun deaths uh, went down. Here's, here's the uh, chart. So I don't know, you'd have to do a statistical analysis on it. Total deaths in U.S. mass shootings, here's the year of Columbine. But then, you know, you unrepeal it and you sort of see almost a linear trend of increasing deaths from mass shootings to 2012. And then I bet you if you continue this graph. So I know... That's an interesting graph. That's very interesting, yeah. But then then another argument that, not my argument, but an argument someone could bring to the table is the mood of the country that passes the gun laws are the same is the same type of mood that uh will uh calm the people who would kill and they don't kill uh because right now people are just mad they're ag- we have this this clash and the clash between uh we've been we've been seeing that us and them and like what charles barkley said well that's just going to anger people and it's going to anger people to the point where they want to kill people and they're going to find a way to do it. They will, but, I mean, uh, sort of limiting their access to the most efficient ways to do it is, it seems reasonable. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, why should oh, yeah. we why should we limit I'm their access saying- to bazookas? Because they could take a bazooka and fire it. In, like, everyone should be able to buy a bazooka because they could also stab someone to death. Like, if someone wants to find a way to kill someone, they will. But it's like, no, I don't think people should have bazookas. Well, I'm not saying, see, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying there should be no gun control. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it's wrong to say, uh, look at the shooting. We need gun control. Well, the implication is if you had gun control, that wouldn't happen. It would have happened. This guy would have done something. He mm-hmm. would have killed, uh, maybe he would kill more people. Uh, you can't stop killings by shootings, by gun control. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying we've got to be careful what we do. Yeah. You know, and so what are the implications of, of different types of gun control? I mean, but, you're right. You don't, you don't want to... Uh, you don't want a assault rifle, or you don't want a uh, uh, anti-personnel uh, ability to 
a rocket-propelled grenade on your streets. Yeah, you, you don't want people to have have access to that kind of stuff. Uh, they probably could get it if they wanted to, and it's or they could make it. They could make they could make pipe bombs and and uh, kill people. You can make pipe bombs and not really bombs. You know, gun so violence. There's all different ways of doing it. Gun violence it kills a lot of people, but it's like saying you know. There shouldn't be a speed limit because people are going to drive 100 miles an hour on the freeway anyway. And if they crash their cars, they're going to die, so there shouldn't be seatbelts. I mean, I think that common sense regulation, I yes, it's not going to keep someone that snaps. It's, I, I see what you're saying. It's not going to prevent any individual mass shooting. But it might make someone who is thinking about perpetrating a mass shootings access to the deadliest and most efficient killing machines slightly less, so they have to choose a pistol instead of an AR-15. So instead of walking into that school or bank or grocery store with a semi-automatic assault rifle, they have a six-shooter revolver. And the amount of damage they're capable of doing is less. And that's, I, I just, I don't know. I know that people are very sensitive about the Second Amendment. And I know that the things that I say, I'm not going to run for office, but... You know, they'll be like, well, you advocated for gun control. And it's like, well, I do think that if you see the level of gun violence in America, it seems extraordinarily high because it is or extraordinarily high. Why don't they have these issues in Canada or Europe? Um, why aren't there as many mass shootings in other, every other nation that's Western and industrialized? And that's a good question to ask. Now... One thing you could well, do is sort of say, instead of sort of debating it on a philosophical level, well, you know, if someone wants to get their hands on an AR-15, there's already 100,000 of them out there in America. They'll find it. So what, what's the point of banning it? Let's just keep manufacturing them. Um, or you could say, what if we placed a ban on it again for 10 years and see what happens? And if the level of violence goes down, why don't we keep that ban in place? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm, it, it's yeah, like it's saying, the, yes, what happened, the tragedy in Boulder last month, and there's a very strong chance that gun control laws wouldn't have prevented it. But it's the frequency and recency. I mean, it's recency bias. It's like maybe this wouldn't have happened if we had gun control laws. Well, maybe the one, let me go back to the onion, maybe the one seven days earlier wouldn't have happened. Or maybe the one 10 days before that wouldn't have happened. Um, I mean, so if it prevents a quarter of them from happening, maybe instead of having 100 mass shootings a year, you have 75. And you say, well, yeah, there's still 75. So what's the point of even having this law? It's just trying to make incremental pro progress. Well, uh, what I was getting at is not you should not have gun laws. I'm saying that the gun laws is not going to stop this. They're still going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so, so, but a, lo a lot of the argument is we need to stop this. So we need gun laws. Yes. The gun laws are not going to stop it. Mm -hmm. uh, it can reduce it. Like you're saying, I agree with that. It's going to reduce it. Uh, but then what is causing it? To me, in my mind, that my thinking, I guess my background is like, wait a minute. Like, uh, this person grabs a gun and kills someone. Uh, well, okay, well, then let's ban guns from everybody else. 
Now, wait a minute. Let's look at the person who did that. How many people are like him that that that's the cause? The person is the one who grabbed that gun. Yeah. So maybe we should be doing is looking at, at our country, looking at the people who would do these things, looking at the politicians who say it's your fault. It's looking at the anger. It's looking at the at that attacking the 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 uh, our capital for crying out loud. And they killed someone there with a, what was it? A, what was it? A uh, fire extinguisher? Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly how the guy died. Yeah, yeah. What if they had guns? They mm-hmm. would have killed more people. They would have. OK. But the point is, did the guns cause it? No, the guns were the instrument. So, yes, that is going to impact uh, the killings. But the cause is the people. Uh, we need we need a uh, what happens if we have more a gentler America? You know, I, I think that the cause of this uh, is not the guns. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's kind of like, oh, yeah, let's let's uh, uh, look at the gun control and ignore uh, blaming people for things to inflame people so that we hate each other. That's more of a cause than having guns. At least that's how I see it. That, that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like, yeah, that 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 you're you're. It's a misplaced uh, uh, passion. Our passion should be bringing people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you could give me a gun. Uh, you can give me ten guns. Well, I love you. I'm not going to shoot you. Okay, but if someone hates you, they will find a gun to shoot you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting at. So it's not the gun, it's the people. Now, that doesn't mean the gun control is not important. It is important to keep them uh, uh, con- under control. But you have to watch out for uh, a misplaced passion uh, and also uh, vindication like, okay, I've done what I, I've done everything I could do. Now, now you have. Now, I'm going to just play devil's advocate here real quick. Okay. So you have the gun lobby. And they say, no, there's no reason you shouldn't sell the most powerful and efficient human killing machines to people, um, carte blanche. And any attempt to regulate it, to require identification for purchase, to sort of track sales, that's just tyranny. And that flies in the face of the Second Amendment. And then if you want to take that argument of the gun lobby and just sort of and place it with the argument that you just made, you say the Second Amendment is so important that we need to, oh, and any, if you want make me show an ID, you might as well be taking away all my guns. If we say we need a kinder, gentler society, we need to sort of work towards ameliorating this hate. What I hear you saying from the gun lobbyist's perspective, switching it to a different amendment is, we need to compel people not to hate each other. We need to come in and say, oh, do you not like that person? You're not allowed to do that. Your First Amendment rights don't matter. Your opinions don't matter. So in order to save guns, we need to take away people's uh, First Amendment rights. So they can have all the guns they want, but they're not allowed to have any hateful thoughts. And they're not allowed to say (laughs) any hateful things. And that's what's going to happen if you try to focus on moderating behavior, is that you're going to strip people's First Amendment rights. So what's more important? The First Amendment you know, are you want to take away their agency, their ability to hate, their ability to say hateful things? Or do you want to take away their guns so they can say hateful things, but then they don't have an assault rifle to go out and shoot people with? That's my devil's advocate argument. <laughs> That's a good one, David. I like that. I like it because, to me, that just reveals uh, human arguments. 
human arguments because like I'm focusing, they focus on this, I focus on this, you're focused on this, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the great philosopher of the 20th century, Yogi Berra. In theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. But in practice, there is. There is. <laughs> he hit the you nail on the head. You can't legislate morality. So what I say is probably good theoretically, but it may not be good all the time in practice. And what they say, they meaning everybody else, may be good theoretically and, and correct sometimes. So what do you do? Eh, you just do your best. You keep, keep trying to do things, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it, there again, I think what we've we've uh, revealed is that there's no easy answer. No, there is no easy answer. And gun control is a tough issue just because of America's history of gun ownership. It is the only nation where this regularly happens, but it is also the most permissive nation in terms of firearm ownership, I believe, in the world. I would love to know. I would love to see uh, deaths from firearms uh before before and after World War one and World War two I mean when the soldiers came back from from World War two uh did they go around killing people but after they after they were here for a couple of decades they get antsy and they start shooting people because they know they can they know how to do it 2010 there are 32,000 firearm-related homicides and suicides. So they they parse them out. Gun deaths by country. I wish I could just see a chart. I don't want to see a graph. This does me no good. Uh, 40,000 in the U.S. 2021, or 20, 2020, I suppose. Now, there's more in Brazil. Wow. There's more up there. What's that small country? Is that Latvia up there? East of Poland. See the black east of Poland? I don't think there's any data. There's no data. There's no data there. Oh. Now, honestly, though, you don't I think... Like Syria, there's no data for Syria because it's gray. Yeah, but see, in Europe, Eastern Europe, up there, uh, east of Poland. Yeah. What country is that? Black. What country is that? Black. That's Belarus, but there's no data. That's Belarus. So Brazil is bad, but look, Brazil is homicides. The suicide rate is lower. Uh. 20 people out of 100,000 will die by homicide. And I think in Mexico, the homicide rate's bad. Oh, it's just a little bit worse than the U.S. So the U.S. has 40,000. Brazil has 46,000. Interesting. So Brazil yeah. is worse than us. We're not the worst. <laughs> I don't know. We're second worst, it looks like. Oh wow! I have a I I did a Wikipedia on 
Wikipedia, gun violence in the United States. Uh Wow, the graphic here about gun-related deaths rated in high-income countries. And they have homicide versus suicide. Uh Many more suicides than homicides. Yeah, it looks like the suicide rate is 7.32 per 100,000. The homicide rate is 4.46. And this graph bears that out as well. From high-income countries. Wow. That's that's revealing. Uh-huh. To, to me, to me, people just don't want to live. Uh, we, we got, why don't people want to live? Why do people commit suicide? That's very, very interesting. I, do, I, also, th- I also think like South Africa, they're high. Their homicide rate per year is 8.3. That's higher per 100,000 people. That's higher than the U.S.'s homicide rate per 100,000 people, which is 4.46. But if you look, their suicide rate is 0.1. Now, here's my question. Brazil, their homicide rate per 100,000 people is 20.7. Their suicide rate is 0.5. Mexico, homicide rate 6.34, suicide rate 0.44. Why is there so much gun-related suicide in America? A. B. Is it a cultural thing? Latin America. It flips. Well, but Latin American countries are predominantly Catholic, and suicide is a mortal sin. So, is it not really an issue of not calling it a suicide? It's an issue of I don't want my child or husband, or I mean, I assume it's mostly men that are committing suicide, um, to go to hell. So, we're not going to report it as a suicide. And so, our suicide rate per 100,000 is 0.44. In America, it's 7.32 because there's not that stigma because it's not a predominantly Catholic nation. Do you think there's some credence to that argument? <laughs> Maybe. I, I think that when you look at any it's numbers, when you look at any numbers, you have to sort of think, what's behind the numbers? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're talking to preaching to choir here. That's right. Like, why is 7.32 per 100,000, but in South Africa, it's 0.1? Maybe they don't monitor like maybe there's an epidemic of suicides in america so we have a more sophisticated means of determining whether a death was a suicide and cataloging it and tracking those statistics if something is 0.1 that's practically zero maybe they're not tracking that or maybe in that society saying that your you know loved one died from suicide is something that you will never put on a death certificate because it brings shame to your family so the suicide rate is zero because you sort of explain it away. It's a gun accident. You accidentally shot yourself in the head. And so there's no suicides there. Um, and I think that there is some credence to that argument. And I feel like, and this is sort of getting off topic and we're almost approaching an hour. When someone does die of suicide, it is tragic. And it's natural for the family to feel as if... Uh, Maybe they did something wrong or whatever. But I do think it's important to let the world know they died of suicide. And suicide prevention is important. And, you know, learn from my story. I do think that the desire to sweep it under the rug to avoid any culpability or personal embarrassment or whatever perpetuates the suicides going on. Does you see what I'm saying? Yep. Not embracing it, not making it a conversation that people have to say, 
they were in pain and we didn't recognize it soon enough. We didn't direct them towards the resources they needed to get help. We didn't try to do everything we could to prevent this. Um, instead, you're like, oh, yeah, it was just an accident. Uh, it wasn't a suicide. It was just an accident. And that doesn't really serve anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the, uh, the, to me, the most troubling statistic is teenage suicide. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Another another graphic. Suicide rates, uh, gun-related and not gun-related. The not-gun-related is huge. It's like much and, bigger than the gun-related. Yeah. And every country except the United States. Oh, really? Yes. And the United States, they're the, the gun-related is more... It's kind of like it's kind of like two bar bar charts, you know. Here's gun related, here's gun related, and here's not gun related as mm-hmm. far as the bar chart is concerned, right? Mm-hmm. Now all the other countries, you know, mm-hmm. uh, gun related and not gun related is down here. Interesting. Suicide rate suicide rates. So, if if you're gonna Commit suicide in the United States, use a gun. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you commit suicide in all these other countries, you do it some other way other than using a gun. Yeah. Now, this is a morbid conversation, but there's a conversation I've had. If, if you were going to do it, how would you do it? And I always say, I think it would be fun to like skydive without a parachute because at least your last few minutes would be exhilarating. And I think that if you have the ability to still desire to experience exhilaration, you're not at the point where... You're suicidal. No, no, you won't. You won't. And a gun is quick, you know. So as long as my answer is still, I jump out of a plane without a parachute. I think I still have a modicum of mental health left. Does That's that make right. sense? You're looking for the thrill, and if you do it once, you can do it again. So wait a minute, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't. Die. Hey, wait, give me a parachute. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, what's sad is the mental. Uh, uh, condition of people that they commit suicide mm-hmm. and why we have so many teenage suicides. I think that, you know, your hormones teenage, are raging. And that, of course, that's the first presentation of mental illness. So someone in their 30s that was diagnosed with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder would have been diagnosed 18, 19, 20, around that age. Well, if you have bipolar and it's untreated and you never get it diagnosed, you're at risk. I mean, if you have an issue and it hasn't been discovered yet, those ages, you're at risk and you could fall into a deep depression, you know? And I think that a lot of times the reason why you see a high teenage suicide rate is they are experiencing this change in life and perhaps psychiatric conditions that will stay with them the rest of their lives are developing, but they're undiagnosed at that point. I'd like to bring up another point that I think a lot of maybe suicide is just one part of it, but just uh, the negativism of of our society is that in our culture uh, in the United States, we're all about uh, success has to do with uh, with uh, how much money you've made, uh, how much you've achieved, you know, what your job is. Mm-hmm. And not happiness. Happiness is not is not a measure of success in our country. 
And what I mean by that is that uh, I've heard recently, I've heard a lot of people, uh, well, not recently, but over the years, a lot of people and a lot of stories about, you know, I was in the rat race. I was successful, making a lot of money. I had a good position and I was miserable and I hated it. So what I did, I quit. I quit, pulled back. I did something that I could I could make a living and pay my bills, but it was nothing like what I had before. But I didn't have what I had before. But I replaced that with happiness. I was happy. I was just happy. A lot of people say, well, I'm happy if I make a lot of money. Uh, a lot of those people are not happy. They, yeah, they do. The, the thing of it is, is that uh, the uh, getting getting back to uh, uh, why people commit suicide or why people are upset, why people are angry, why people are not are not are disgruntled. It's because maybe they that's why they commit suicide, and maybe we we'll get back to the culture, our culture in the, in America. Uh, maybe we need a, a different way of looking at uh, what happiness is and what success is. Define success a little bit differently. Yes. We're looking at Bob Marley. We're looking at this clip. We've shown it before. I'm going to show it again. Have you made a lot of money out of your music? Money. I mean, what is how much is how much is a lot of money to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Have Have you made, say, millions of dollars? No. Are you a rich man? What do you mean rich? What do you mean? You have a lot of possessions, a lot of well, money in the bank. Possession make you rich. I don't, I don't have that type of richness. My richness is life forever. There you go. Bob Marley. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Go Pos Bob. Possessions make you rich? I don't have that type of richness. My richness is life forever. That is so... <laughs> what a poet. That's a cool, uh, cool little clip, don't you think? That is so cool. Yeah, what, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? But you see, the interviewer assumed assumed something and bob marley confronted him with well, what do you mean by that yeah you know, your impl your implication is possessions make you happy you know I, re I remember too it's like uh i mean people sort of focus on that and i think that sometimes it's like that's the measuring stick by which they judge their world so i remember when ninja was blowing up on fortnite and he'd do interviews and they'd be like, you can make a living playing video games? Like, how much money are you? And like, these people are interviewing him. And it's like, I think a little bit of that was jealousy because A, Ninja was making more money than they were. B, <laughs> Ninja would get on stream on Twitch every day and stream and he would have three to four more times more viewers than their entire network would for that day. So they have a network. They have a staff of 200. They're making this, they're trying to get advertisers and this kid's playing video games and he's outpacing them in terms of and of course you can make money. Like you can make money being on TV with only 35,000 viewers watching your channel. You can sell ads off of that. I have 100,000 people watching me. I'm just one guy. Of course I can make money. Like you and your 200 people can generate about one third of the buzz of I, me on my own. So yeah, of course I can make money. And it's like, it's a dumb question to ask, but people are sort of flabbergasted by it, you know? Uh-huh. Um, uh -huh. That's a little bit off the topic, but... Uh, yeah, but it's important. It's an important point. I think uh, what makes you happy, I think our de definition of happiness in the United States, I think that's part of the reason why we have so many suicides. That's why we have so many 
deaths, uh, so many shootings, and uh, we're just angry. I also think, you know, money doesn't make you happy. And if you think that money will make you happy, you lack imagination. But also we're sort of trained, if you follow this path, if you play by these rules, um, there's a hierarchy in a sense to the thing. And that's not necessarily true. You can sort of get in where you fit in, never rock the boat. And then all of a sudden, some 22-year-old kid is making $4 million a year playing video games. And you went to an Ivy League school and you got a master's degree and you worked in corporate America. And you're making a fraction of that. And you're like, I did everything right. And he's outpacing me. This is not fair because I judge my life on how much money you make. And it's like, well, maybe you should start judging your life a little bit differently. Yeah. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, well, more power to him. More power yeah. to him. Uh, but I think you need to be happy uh, with your definition of success. Mm -hmm. The definition that makes you happy. So I watched the show. Because Silic when you're dead, it, when you die, it doesn't matter how much money you've made. You know, so what matters? Uh, uh, I know I've, I've uh, seen articles where a lot of uh, very successful CEOs. I saw this decades ago. There's a survey. Successful CEOs, uh, when they retired, they say, do you have any regrets? And they go, yes. Uh, my main regret is I didn't spend enough time with my family. And that 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 was sad. Mm -hmm. They just didn't like that. So what is success? What is, wh how do you define success for you? Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to, to think about what does success mean to me? And then not only define what success means to you, but then back up and say, what does success mean? Does success mean money? Does success mean possessions? Or like Bob Marley, does, does success mean life? What does it mean to you? And uh, what should it mean to you? And how do you define success in general? Is it going to be something that you can do today that you'll never stop doing for the rest of your life and you'll love every minute doing it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's success. That's a successful life. It's like Pablo Picasso said, the, war, the, the reward for good work is more work. So you might as well work at doing something you love because the reward for good work is more work. If you're doing something and you hate it, like, yeah, they might pay you, but they're just going to give you more and more of this work that you hate. If, you're, if, you don't, if you hate accounting, but you can do it, well, the better and better you get at accounting, the more and more accounting you're going to have to do. That's sort of just how it works. So you should probably sort of find something you love to do because the reward for good work is more work. I, I've actually, I've even said that in my classes. I've been told them that. I say, look, you can solve this problem, but be careful. Uh, when you start doing good, you better make sure that you do something that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Because when you when you have success, they're going to give you more. I've been told them that in my classes. The, but so you don't want to do bad work. No. <laughs> but there's, but what you do is what I've done before. Is like I don't want to be doing this, but I can solve it for them. So I'll solve it for them. But I won't solve it completely. I'll solve it 90% of the way so they can solve it the other 10% and then it's theirs. And they claim a victory. <laughs> they claim the victory. And then I help them do it because I want to help people. But I don't want to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. I'll let them do it. So I'll solve it 90% of the way, let them do less 10%, and then all of a sudden it's theirs. And then they end up doing it all the time. 
because now they know how to do it. Yep. And so speaking There's of, always a win-win. There's always a win-win, David. So speaking of declaring victory, I'm going to declare victory on this episode. Uh, I have the outro music playing. And if there's anything okay. you'd like to say to the people before we leave, speak now or forever hold your peace. David and the Sons of Sequoia says, keep on talking. But listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye. Bye. <laughs>